How was your practice of speaking on contentment? What effect does this have right now on your experience of life? Or was the habit force so weak, so not challenging at all, that you were just dwelling in great contentment for 20 minutes? Before I invite you into this little exercise, I thought I'd just fill in a few points from my notes, which I think might be useful sharing. The Buddha mentioned two factors for the arising of right view, right understanding. And as you know, right view, right understanding is the foundation, the guiding star to liberation, to the Noble Eightfold Path, Samaditi, right? Like when dawn starts in the early morning, the Buddha gives that image, yeah? That's the indication, light is going to come, awakening, enlightenment, yeah? Right view. If that's correct, you're on the right track. And there's two factors for that. One, what the Buddha called the voice of the other. Voice of the other. Speaking. Listening. Why, I repeat myself, did countless beings get awakened or partially awakened listening to the Buddha or other wise or enlightened beings? Male, female, maybe even in between. One crucial factor, the voice of the other. And the other crucial factor is wise consideration, yoni somanasikara, wise reflection, intelligent thinking, going to the root of things. Unwise attention or reflection is the food for not knowing, for avicca. And again, remember the connection between thinking and speaking, yeah? Samaditi, right view, right intention, and then the first action of right intention is speaking, and then acting. Very powerful, this connection, yeah? They are connected, right effort, right mindfulness, right understanding. Connected to all aspects of the Noble Eightfold Path. It's a holistic path. Holistic in a way of nothing is excluded. Nothing is excluded. Not your anger, not your rage, not your depression, not your joy, not your happiness, not your contentment. Nothing whatsoever is excluded in this practice. It's very helpful to pause when we feel the urge before we perch, before we speak, yeah? Pause, mindfulness. Is this skillful? The way I do it, or I intend to do it? Is this the right time? The right way, the right topic. Urge, perch, powerful words, powerful practice. Asavas, this Pali word means 
inflows, outflows. Yeah? And ending the outflows is a synonym for liberation, as you know, in case you do care about reading the original word of the Buddha. Another advice the Buddha had was what we see, what we hear, what we sense and what we cognize according to our experience. That is the truth. I have heard her say this morning such and such. I have seen her doing such and such. Not the rumors about her. I could tell you stories about rumors about her. Can I? No, we have to stop you know, on time. Because if I would start telling the rumors about her to you, that would be really entertaining, I tell you. She's my guinea pig, by the way. <laughs> so really pause, bring mindfulness to the body, to the heart, the feelings, emotions, sensations, to the dhammas, between the urge and the perch. And then maybe you can let go of the perch. Not commit karma, not act. You can become a true human being instead of a human doing. Yeah? And before we go into this little exercise, just and please, this is not to be confused. The Buddha doesn't say you should only talk about this because this is a teaching for the monastics. And we are supposed to, I'm not saying we do all the time, but we are supposed to live a different lifestyle than uh, people who don't live in the monasteries and wear robes. So the ten topics the Buddha recommends for monks and nuns to talk about are wanting little, contentment, which you just became an expert of, at least for 20 minutes, talk favorable to seclusion, not mingling together. How does that go together with the recommendation of the Buddha to visit people and talk about Dhamma? Mingling together in a kind of social gossiping way, yeah? Yeah, gossip. Wonderful Pali word, sambapalapa. Sambapalapa, papalapap. Yeah? That's one of the few Pali words I can remember. Sambapalapa, papalapap. Nonsense talk. Very popular. If you don't talk, you listen, you read it, you watch it. And watch the world. Or better, don't watch it, because it influences you what you watch. What we often direct our mind, our heart to, that conditions us. Force of habit. Yeah, we know that. If you listen to a lot of gossip, sambapalapa, it's pretty likely that you engage in that. Strainlessness. Talk which facilitates good conduct. What does that mean? In England, something different than in Germany, I guess. To concentration, to calming the mind. When you really speak wisely, when you really speak the truth, when you really listen deeply, the mind can experience profound samadhi, stillness, peace, clarity. You know that. Any therapist knows that. You experience that in any good friendship. This is why meditation, including speaking and listening, can be so powerful. How can you liberate the mind, the heart, when you don't exclude speaking and listening, 
in your meditation. Please, please investigate. It's probably not a secret to know that I'm quite fond of meditation with speaking and listening. A talk which is yielding understanding and insight, deliverance. And talk which is favorable to the knowledge and vision of deliverance, of freedom. So this is what monks and nuns should talk about, and only these things. Not so easy to live up to that. As you should have a should, 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 yes, but, have a chance to share your comments, observations, questions, whatever. Before we do that, the exercise. I like, just for a minute or two, but I really invite you to participate in this. And I will demonstrate with my wonderful sparing partner called Michelle how to do that. So I will explain what we are supposed to do. And I don't know how she will do. Never mind. It's not a matter of right or wrong. But I really invite you to engage in this. Beyond your cultural conditioning, please. It's an opportunity for practice. And maybe even an opportunity to have fun. Or to feel discomfort. Maybe both. So I invite you, when you speak to another person with a partner sitting next to you, and maybe we take turns, that reduces the level of volume a little bit, and maybe it's also quite useful in terms of communication if one person speaks, the other listens, isn't it? In your experience, even so, we are rich in culturally kind of speaking together. So you are invited to really explore mindfulness while speaking, explore with body language, you know, how you speak, pitch of voice, melody of the voice, loud and soft, aggressive and very kind, speaking nonsense or speaking profound truth. Really give it a go. Feel what it does to your body. Where does the speaking come from? You know, the tension in the diaphragm, the muscles, the air pushed up through the vocal cords. The vocal cords like rubbing against each other like two blades of grass producing the sound. Then this matter is thrown out of your mouth. And there are these funny things called funnels, or we call them ears, yeah? Catching these matters called ear waves, or whatever you call it, ear, uh, sound waves, sorry. Yeah? Making these vibrations. I don't know these English words for these kind of things, you know. Anyhow, vibration, then the fluid is moving, that is, nerves are stimulated, the brain, and then it makes meaning. Sometimes it doesn't make meaning. But isn't it marvelous? All this tension, this sound, the tension in the mouth, the tongue, producing these words, and you seem to understand some of them. You appear to be like it, at least. Yeah? Prova pomput pasatai, kauchai mai? Did you get it? I just said if I speak Thai, do you understand? Did I speak Thai? Maybe I'm just fooling you. Yeah? So, you know, or if I speak my mother tongue, it would be much more comfortable for me, very meaningful for me. 
for you also. Yeah, brush up your school German. Good luck. Yeah. So anyhow, what marvelous things happen for communication to happen? Speaking and listening, this interaction. And feel free to stand up while you do this. This is how we will demonstrate. And you just have a minute or so just to explore, you know. But in this style of meditation I'm quite often teaching, the last two meditation guidelines are called listening deeply and speaking the truth. And listening deeply means really speaking with the wholeness of your body and mind. You are, if you want or not, a tremendous sensitive creature, relational creature. If we as babies don't get attention, physical attention of TLC, tender loving care, we literally die. We can get physical food, but if we don't get that attention, that's why the Buddha calls, you know, contact or is one of the foods for survival. He doesn't say survival, but it's one of the foods he describes. Yeah? Contact, consciousness and so on. And I really invite you to engage in this. Yeah? When we pay attention when we speak, we notice when we are tensed or relaxed. We are moved when we speak the truth, sometimes to tears. And sometimes these tears can taste so sweet, even so they taste so salty when they roll down the lips, you know. <laughs> beautiful. And sometimes tears out of sadness can be very beautiful in terms of relaxing the tension. So I invite Michelle to stand up, please.
somebody sitting next to you, you don't want to engage maybe just go to the back of the room or something. But it's just, it is practice, please. It is not foolish game. Shall I leave this for yeah. Michelle to... So once you have found the partner, if you could please quieten down. It would be helpful if you probably sit or stand opposite each other, not sidewise. Make sure you have comfort in the body. Standing might be more comfortable, actually. If you could please then be quiet again. If you found your meditation partner, could you please be quiet? Quiet means shut up. <laughs> so could you please agree who will be the first speaker? If you can do it so silently, it's, you know, it's always a choice, one or the other. So once you have settled that important question, just close your eyes for a minute. Feel your body, the tension, the ease after all this commotion. So after the bell, the first speaker has opportunity to explore speech. Variety, body language, tone of voice, pitch of voice, and so on and so forth. And the listener listens deeply, attentively, for a minute only or so. Refrain from making a comment how restrained you are. <laughs> really? Do I refrain from it? So, the second speaker's turn after the bell.
please close your eyes for a minute, or not a minute, but a moment, and just notice how you are feeling right now. And do notice this capacity of noticing, knowing how it is right now, this capacity of the mind, of mindfulness, to know. And now open your eyes again. Please look at your meditation partner. Without him or her, the practice like this is not possible. And notice also, if you practice with a stranger, what has happened in the last three minutes. Any change in your relationship? Just be aware of that. And if you feel moved, you can express your gratitude and please return to your seat. So this is just a little taste of what some people might call workshop. You know, monks, or I do really like this because when you don't have money, you like workshops. You know, other people work and you shop because it's free. Yeah. So anyhow, this is now your turn to make comments, additions, speak from your own experience or ask questions. There's a microphone here if you could please make use of that, if you dare to. Can you hear me? When you uh, talked about truth and you said it, it was a good thing to speak the truth um, in a short way without using too many words, how do we know what is the truth? Very good question, of course. The subjective truth, yeah? A few minutes ago I said, you know, Buddha describes it as what you have heard, what you have sensed, what you have seen, what you have cognized, as you have experienced it, or as you have heard it. You know, for example, to say, uh, Michelle is a lazy... She's gone now. Well, <laughs> she's just, you know... She's a leech, yeah? Staying in the monastery, just enjoying the good food, hardly doing any work, you know? I've heard this gossip. Somebody said, somebody I trust. I don't know. I can say, I have heard, maybe I'm polite and not saying the name from whom I have heard it, but I have heard Michelle is like that. Somebody said, that's the truth, yeah? And again, the Buddha was very clear, truth, right timing, in the right way. Yeah, sometimes, for example, this classic example, you know your best friend is not honest in his or her relationship. You know, for example, he had a maybe wonderful one-night stand with your best friend. Yeah, so are you going to tell that truth? Very hard, yeah? Where is the moral here? What is the right thing to do? I don't know. 
Yeah? And we can use Dhamma, we can use Vinaya, discipline, ethical guidelines, commandments, moral, to create wars, right? Like the Buddha gives that example of grasping the teaching at the wrong end of the, of the snake. Yeah? It just turns around and bites you. If you use Dhamma to punish, to threaten, you will experience the results. People won't like to listen to you. Yeah? If you don't believe in karma and rebirth, you will know what it's like. Yeah? So what is truth? Really honestly speaking what, where you are. Not pretending, not playing any games. Yeah? I don't know. One of my teachers said, I say first in German, you know, I ask a lot of questions, as you can imagine, you know. So he said, am I Jesus? Grass is not growing out of my pockets. I'm not Jesus. I don't know. That's honest. I don't know. The Buddha sometimes kept quiet, not because he didn't know. He didn't want to confuse the other person more. Very good question. Thank you. So the subjective truth, you know, not the ultimate truth can be really hurt, hurtful. Bitter truth. Yesterday there was a situation. After the meditation day we had a meeting and there were two people in the meetings which were not supposed to do there. Uh, sorry, which were not supposed to be there. I felt the fear, I felt the discomfort. I spoke. And it created a lot of conflict. Today I spoke to somebody who expressed her gratitude that I did speak. Because it was the right thing to do. Not personally attacking somebody. Somebody got very upset. Details don't matter, you know. But how often do we don't speak what needs to be spoken? There's something wrong going on here. And nobody mentions it. Everybody knows it, or most people for instance, yeah? And then we have these nice carpets where we try to sweep under a lot of things, right? Does it work? As Ayakima put it, you know, you can run away. Dukkha says, great, I come with you. <laughs> yeah, go for a holiday. Great, I join you. In the monastery where I did my first meditation retreat in Thailand, Kosomoy, it looks a bit different than nowadays, there was a sign at one of the side exits of the monastery. There was a big sign called, you can run, but you can't hide. Hmm. Thank you. Um, Lord Buddha, I think, said that not to speak at all, if, even if it is the truth, not to say it if it's hurtful to the other person. Isn't that right? And you, it's better to be silent at that point rather than saying what you feel or what you know is the truth? Generally, yes. The guideline not to hurt. But sometimes, for instance, if somebody is bullying you, or we had the, the situation here in the monastery, somebody is not behaving properly in the monastery. It doesn't have to be something really harmful, but really destroying other guests. Or if, I mean, when I lived in Thailand, having these retreats with more than 100 people every month, 
and people sometimes come straight from the beach or out of from drugs or still on a trip, you know, and they don't know or they can't restrain themselves in behavior, agreeing, basically fulfilling their agreement, living up to the precepts, noble silence. Usually they get a warning and then they ask to leave. Sometimes, in my experience, it's helpful to set very clear boundaries. There's a great misunderstanding, you know, as a Buddhist or as a monk, and maybe I'm not such a good example for that, but you can set boundaries, very clear. The Buddha did. He sometimes called people fools. Yeah, very strong words. I think he wasn't upset, but he was very clear. And sometimes it can be a very compassionate act. Or he gives that simile, as you might know, as a parent, you know, your child swallows a piece of glass or something, a sharp object, what do you do? Immediately you grab that child with a hand, it, that child might cry, you go with your hand into that child's throat and get that object out. Violently. Because that's the right thing to do. Yeah? Or, you know, somebody is maybe daydreaming, you know, going on the road and is going to be hit by a car, I would suggest you violently stop that person from going on the road. If somebody falls down the abyss, even if it's a woman, I would catch her. Don't pretend to, please, but, yeah? Some people say, no, 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 as a Buddhist monk, you shouldn't touch women. Yeah, so what is right? What is, you know, not to hurt can also sometimes, truth can hurt and still be beneficial, I think. But it's very difficult sometimes to discern. But to use that as 100% so you never, if somebody feels uncomfortable, you shouldn't speak the truth? No. Then, you know, the Buddha wouldn't teach, I think. Lumpur Sumedhu, Ajahn Chah. Sometimes it's very painful. Hurtful to hear what's true. But when you hear and understand, there is an acceptance of that, usually, if there's understanding inside with it. Yeah? To hear that nice experiences end is not nice, right? But you know it's true. And when you come to terms with that truth, even so it's painful. So there's two kinds of dukkha. Dukkha which leads to the end of dukkha and the dukkha which leads to more dukkha. So these guidelines are very true, but in their way they're also relative. It's the most popular Buddhist answer. It depends. <laughs> yeah? Not a clear yes and no. It depends. I was just wondering how you would talk about speech when it comes to communicating a certain, what you believe is a realisation or understanding that comes through meditation, and there can be this desire to transmit that, and then you realise when you do start speaking it, it destroys that realisation, it doesn't quite feel right, you realise your reality is never going to be the same as that other person's reality. Do you think in those situations silence can be the best way of dealing with that? Are you talking about a situation... Like in meditation experience or any daily insight or? 
Yeah, meditation of daily insight to something that manifests. You know, you believe you believe you have an understanding of something, and you want to communicate that in some way. I mean, the general advice is, of course, feel the intensity of the urge. Where is that urge coming from? Is it, you know, I want to convince you this is what you must do? And my experience is the more you want to do that, the more likely it is that the other person is not interested or turning away. The general recommendation in the Dhamma context or meditation or heart development, you speak to people you respect. If you have a teacher or good friend, do that. Yeah, uh, And really sense that urge. Yeah, Pause. Wait. A day, week, months, maybe a year. How, does, how, how is that? Sometimes people say, you know, oh, you never should talk about your insights, your understanding. I use a strong word now, rubbish. The Buddha was very clear what you often repeat that is conditioning your mind. Repeating things strengthens your capacity to remember, right? Not repeating things strengthens your capacity to forget. So how to take care of our insights, of our understanding? Not repeating like a parrot. Yeah? Repeating really getting in touch with that experience. And sometimes, maybe many times, depends. Talking about it might give rise to deeper understanding, more clarity. Or give rise to, oh, I don't know, actually. It appeared to be I know, but I don't know. Or an experienced teacher, especially when you have really deep meditation insight, insights. You know, the, the, like this map of 16 insights for liberation. Some of them are threatening. When you hear competent, uh, competent meditation teachers, I'm not, by the way, talking about it, like I have one Bhante Pimasiri in mind, Sri Lankan meditation teacher. He says, oh, you know, when you people meet who have that level, 50% drop out. When that level, 70% drop out. Blah, 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 blah. So if you count that, you know, maybe 100 people start, first, inside, second, third, fourth, how many come to the end? Zero point how many percent? When you read about the stories of the great masters, yeah, like Ajahn Chah, when he met Ajahn Man. A very brief meeting, but very powerful. Or, I think Ajahn Pasano once showed that. The beautiful thing with the Dhamma is, that's a whole, it imagines this huge piece of paper. Yeah? How to understand the Dhamma, the handful of leaves, what the Buddha taught, right? All the things you need to know, you know? The tenfold paths, twelve links of dependent origination, the thirty-seven factors of enlightenment, you know, the this and that. Yeah? The thirty-two blessings, Mahamangala Sutta. Do you know all the factors of, you know, the eight qualities of the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha and blah 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 blah? Oh, I can't remember all that. Ah, oh, it's too much. With my dementia and you know, too much. But if you understand one thing. One tiny little thing, deep enough, you get the whole. You know, in the Buddha's time, I think, 
Most people met the Buddha for a very short time. Some of them made tremendous great effort to go there, walk for hundreds of kilometers, miles. They meet the Buddha with this tremendous respect, interest, with this tremendous effort of listening deeply. So they listen to discourse. Maybe the Buddha was specifically talking to that person or group of persons. They remember, because clearly listening helps to remember. Oral tradition, they go back home or to their monastery or, you know, they practice with this and the penny drops. Realization. One discourse is enough. You know? Like the first discourse, Dhamma Chakrabhavatana Sutta, Anathalakana Sutta, Adita Pariyaya Sutta, Fire Sermon, the Dhamma Chakrabhavatana. Anyhow, this is enough. One teaching. What? Do you think, with the Buddha, or maybe an enlightened master meeting you, what would be the most beneficial thing for you to be taught? Not what we like to hear. What is actually the most beneficial thing in terms of what we really need? Is it the highest wisdom? Or is it the foundation of practice, generosity, sila? Speech is a powerful practice of sila, connected to deep wisdom, yeah? Wisdom, right view, right intention. Conditions, right speech. Don't underestimate what we are talking about here. Don't underestimate the power of speaking and listening. I think we got a taste of that today, and you get a taste of that in your life anyway. So talking about your insights, it's really touching because you speak your subjective truth, what you have seen with your, you know, often Asian Buddhist friends, they, you know, in Thailand it's quite common, they ask you, do you see anything in meditation in terms of visions or so, you know, nimittas? I have fantasies, for sure, you know, and I've been long around uh, enough long Enough, around long enough. You know, helping with retreats in Suomok, with this Anapanasati thing and so on. And sometimes I was so happy, I don't have all these fancy experiences. Because you are with people who suffer so much from them, because they want to recreate them. It's not about fancy experiences, it's not about what kind of insights you have, but how do these insights manifest in your life? May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be kind. You know, you radiate loving kindness, compassion. But your inner attitude is, leave me alone in my monastery, in my meditation. Yeah? Mother or father sitting at home in the meditation corner. The little or big child has, has a need, an urge, or cries. Shut up! I'm practicing loving kindness meditation. <laughs> yeah? I have deep insights into love. When it's called for, yeah? somebody dying, somebody injured, there's a natural response. A natural response. The Buddha often uh, teaches in a negative way, right? For example, intention. Or abstaining from wrong speech. If you just do that, abstain from lying, abstain from harsh speech, abstain from malicious, divisive speech, 
abstain from gossip, sambapalapa. What is left? What is left? Just reframing from, you know, intention, for example, nekama, renunciation. Abstain from complicating life. Practice simplicity, letting go. Abstain from aversion. Abstain from violence. What is left? We are not evil sinners. None of us. The nature of the mind, according to the Buddha, is bright and pure. The nature of the mind, of the heart, of consciousness, is bright and pure. As obscured it might be experienced, as dark, as depressed, or whatever. Believing it doesn't help. I mean, it helps in terms of if you have confidence in it, but yeah, it's a very different concept than we are sinners. Yeah? So when you take the obscurations out, the defilements, what's left? Natural brightness. Compassion, kindness, joy, sympathetic joy is natural. <coughs> Completely natural. Unfolding, bhavana. Unfolding qualities which are already in the heart, in the mind. Being kind. I, I'm not happy when I hurt people with my way of speaking. Normally I don't intend to hurt, but I do a lot of harm. Yeah? And that's hurtful, that's painful. Good friends tell me. Shy friends or when they are, you know, whatever, they don't tell me. They feel it and I'm too insensitive to feel it. I'm blind. I'm left in my blindness. So sometimes when you share, you know, what you have done has hurt me. Not in a blame. What you have done, that hurt me. Never ever do that again. Say that word. Remember situation. Yeah? Last year, this foolish person was using the big no-no word, N-word. Can you imagine the reactions? Can you imagine how embarrassing, how foolish I felt? But was it bad karma? Well, definite ignorance at play. Took a lot of effort, time and energy to heal the wounds. Maybe still some people haven't, you know, overcome that shock. A monk using the big N-word. You know which one? Several maybe. <laughs> Yeah. But what was the motivation? Not to justify ignorance and stupidity, but I think it was a very useful process, for me at least. Very painful, very embarrassing. Somebody, I can use different words now, said, you know, you should or something should promise to never ever use that word again. I said, sorry, my dear, or something I said. You know, I can't. Because I've used this word, you know, in a prison, asking permission before. Can I use that word, please? And the person, yes, no problem. <laughs> Depends. Maybe one or two more questions or comments. And I'll be around if you want to speak individually. Hmm? <laughs> what? 
nigger. Oh, wow. Don't you know what the big N-word is? I didn't. Nine, the magic nine. Oh, what, the nine Enneagram types or what? Again, just notice the, your response to hearing that word. Yeah? Or people, you know, I often sign my emails or notes with BS. Yeah? Hmm. It has a powerful meaning, right? <laughs> BS. Bhante Sukrachito. It's clear, isn't it? Bullshit. Yeah? Is he ignorant, this guy? Monk. He is. So just, you know, certain words. I have burnt my mouth several times. Yeah? When Germans talk about history, genocide. Should I give you another example of strong reactions, what I said? Maybe not. All the people in this room are, are sort of self-selecting and we're all, what do they call it, Kalyanamita? Kalyanamita? Yes. We seem to be on the same path to some extent, otherwise we wouldn't be here. Uh, yet in life we have to deal with the majority of people and their beliefs and opinions very strongly held. And one has to be very careful, even though the beliefs and opinions are repugnant to us, how to deal with the situation, because you can't oppose so much, and uh, you certainly can't agree, necessarily. And uh, there is a, an expression, I think it originates in German, also, that no answer is also an answer. And uh, so if you ignore that, then you, you provoke anger as well. Uh, it is quite difficult very often when people, and most of the population that I've come across, have been very much entrenched in, in certain views and opinions, many of which are repugnant to us in the room. So how do you deal with it? You don't mind me being direct? Martin? Are you ever otherwise? <laughs> I can be. So if we believe what he just said, that's the truth, right, from his perspective. But I think you know better. When we think and repeat, it's so difficult, yeah, this society out there, yeah, we are so special, we Kalyanamitas, we spiritual friends, we Buddhists, we this and that. But out there, you know, in the world, in the real life, it's so difficult. When you repeat that, first two verses of the Dhammapada, mind made, yeah, is the world. You Say you believe it's so difficult, that's what you create. It is not difficult to come back to the present moment, in my experience. It's very easy. Right now, 
please close your eyes and feel your feet touching the floor or the cushion or each other's legs. It's very easy, right? Very easy. The moment you do that, is there an experience of dukkha right now, feeling your feet? Yeah, pain or not, doesn't matter. There is immediate awareness, there's immediate knowing of truth, how it is right now. Or when you pay attention to your hands right now, something magical happens to your hands, right? So what we pay, how we pay attention to something, does something with that object. Body, mind, heart, whatever. If we pay attention to, it is difficult. The society, the world, the this, the that. If you give that energy, that's what you experience. In my experience, it's that simple. It's not denying you know, realities in terms of there are more conducive environments to practice than others. Yeah? Why do you think I live, choose to live in the monastery so far? I'm a lazy something. <laughs> yeah? I'm not looking for extra troubles. I'm so grateful going to London because that really brings up gratitude in me for my lifestyle. Yeah? Is London the problem or my immaturity of practice? I remember years back in the 90s when I was a week in New York, I visited two Tibetan lamas. They stayed in a flat with a small dog. And I said, doesn't this kind of environment, Manhattan, have an effect on your practice? Yeah, oh, yeah, we noticed after a year or two, you know, the practice declined a little bit. What? After a year or two? You know, for me, when I enter a big town, you know, it has very strong effects. You know, coming to a country where there's a lot of tension, Germany, this country is very polite, so there's not so much tension in this country, of course, or maybe not. Yeah? When you come from Asia sometimes, the moment I come to airport, Frankfurt or so, you feel the impatience, and we are masters of creating dukkha out of nothing or small things. In Switzerland, they announced the train is late two minutes. I ask sincerely for apologies. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. What an action. Yeah. So that's not an easy answer. And sense restraint is one of the practices the Buddha highly recommended. What does that mean? Shutting off? Connecting? Yes, the Buddha recommended not to intentionally connect with fools. But if a fool comes to you, a drunkard, there's no need to, you know, be violent. You can be kind. Something very unpleasant to deal with drunkards, yeah? drunken people. Disrespectful people who feel provoked by just the way I dress. Yeah? And you get all kind of funny reactions also, you know? Anyhow, it's f so do, how do we respond? Somebody is cutting our right of way in traffic. You respond with violence, or you respond with, oh, thank you, another opportunity to be generous. Another opportunity not to create stress. Standing in the queue of the supermarket, another wonderful opportunity to practice walking or standing meditation. Standing, a step forward, standing. Great. M25, a great place for practice. Extra time. <coughs> wonderful. 
or a great place for stress. Do you have a choice or not? Are you a victim or a master of life? The dearest ones, those where we have the strongest attachment, are the cause for the strongest suffering, as we know. So does it mean, so don't engage in too close relationships? I better don't give the answer to that. But you know what hurts. The tighter the connection, the attachment, the more pain of loss, of change. Okay, I think we stop with uh, generous M&M. I forgot something to put this wonderful device. Thank you for your patience and generosity in being here still nearly quarter past four. And I hope that it was some useful stimulation. If not, just forget about it. That would be my advice, and you can dump all the blame onto me, and I'll do my best to be a great big vehicle or vessel, not vehicle, for, for that. Thank you very much. And we have a minute of... And if you feel like move, there's something useful happened here, maybe you can use this minute of silence for a practice what we traditionally call sharing the merits bringing forth the intention of bringing this into your life. And it really helps to center your attention, your mindfulness, your awareness in the body while you speak, while you listen. And the power of force, of habit, especially with speaking and listening, is so powerful. It's really helpful to pause, relax, open, and be with the change as you listen deeply and speak the truth, what is true for you in this very moment. Thank you. So a minute, which I end with a bell. Again, do notice the effects of this one minute. And thanks for your willingness to engage in this workshop, as you have done, and thanks to Michelle for supporting. Thank you very much. <laughs>